we're going to go from there. Yeah, yeah, if you're new, that, that happens. We're a restaurant. People, people call. People call on Sunday, despite the fact that for four and a half or five years now, she's never been open on a Sunday. People still call on Sunday asking questions. Uh, people still come on Sunday to see if we're going to get something to eat. So can't lock the doors. That'd be kind of a fire hazard. I mean, if anything happened, you wouldn't be able to get out. All right. And yeah, amen. Amen. And I, the other thing is, is that I don't, I mean, like, like, you know, if, if I locked the door, fire happened, we couldn't get out. I don't want to be that church, right? Like if we're going to be on fire, let it be a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. Amen. Right. Nobody wants to be burned and be like, oh, that's a church on fire. No, literally burning on fire. So Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 7, we're going to start there. I'm going to talk to you about what I call trailblazers. Trailblazers. Acts chapter 6, 2 through 7. This is where we begin today. It reads like this. We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll, we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer, teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles, who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. I love that. It's like saying, and people in the church got saved. That's funny. As the movement of Jesus Christ grew, so did the level of responsibility, so did the level of accountability. The ministry had gotten to the point where that basically where those that had been closest to Jesus could no longer teach the words of Christ. So they appointed these men in their place. This would allow them to continue teaching others, continue doing the things that they had set out to do. This second generation Christian had only heard about the works and the words of Christ through these apostles. They had not necessarily witnessed it firsthand from the hands of Christ. The first man, Stephen, is described as a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Maybe he was just someone who believed the words of Christ spoken through the apostles, like in John chapter 20, 29, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Stephen would eventually go on to be confronted by the Pharisees, and he would have to make a choice. You see, they were out to stomp out the entire movement, and before him, he was going to be the first one they were going to make an example of. Now, this choice he had to make was one of two things, to stand or to sink back. Now, I don't know if you can picture any of this. Here's a young man who's having, he's heard Christ through friends, rejected the, the practice religion of the day to embrace this new thing that hadn't even been called Christianity yet. Matter of fact, it's called the way, and the only way anybody recognizes it is how they live. He's barely saved for any length of time. I mean, how could he be possibly strong enough or wise enough or smart enough or how we say in church, scriptured enough to know what to do. What about one of the other men, Philip? After this great wave of persecution begins sweeping the church in Jerusalem, because by the way, Stephen dies. This whole persecution begins to sweep the church in Jerusalem and everyone is scattered. And there's been no real training for Stephen and Philip. 
These young men were just chosen to take over the current ministries that the apostles had been working. They hadn't been prepared to be an evangelist. None of them had attended any kind of seminary. They had no mentoring. They, they were handing out food. Remember what the apostles were just going to, we need somebody to take over this handing out food stuff so we can go back to doing what we're doing. Because they didn't have enough time to do that. So let's give these to this. So they're spending more time handing out food. Still, we find Philip, if you go a few chapters over, uh, uh, eager to evangelize and, and just crazy enough to believe that Jesus would do what he said he would do. Listen to Acts chapter 8. Again, two chapters next, 5 through 8. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed so that there was great joy in that city. Acts 8, 5 through 8. Now, who empowered these men for this ministry? Who empowered them to do evangelism? These men hadn't spent any time with Jesus. They were not the children of the Pharisees who'd basically given their whole life to God's word. So they hadn't been necessarily passed down, not into great detail at least. What school had they attended? What degree did they have? Why do they feel that they can just go out, preach, and heal, and, and tell people about Jesus? Today, neither of these men would be qualified for ministry. We look at, actually, we look at the eagerness of the, uh, of the young as more of a hindrance. We look at it as foolishness of use, so to speak. We see them as unwise, unskilled, and untrained. We reason through human intellect that their age and their lack of experience will make them less effective. Unfortunately, for all my preaching brothers, the New Testament is full of these young trailblazers. And, and by the way, if you don't know what a trailblazer is, it's a person who makes a new track through wild country is what Webster's Dictionary, I like that. A new track through wild country. And then these two words that are synonymous with it, a pioneer or an innovator. See, when I think of the word trailblazer, my mind, it leapt immediately to Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. And if you don't know, they're mortally known as, as, as Lewis and Clark. You've probably heard of them if you've gone to anywhere of the Northwest uh, they have a trail that goes all the way from one side of the east to the west. They are the great pioneers of the early 1800s. They were men that were asked to unsplore, like they were, to, they were going to explore uncharted territory from the east coast all the way over to the Pacific West. Do you know how old they were? Can you imagine the President of the United States walking up to a 27-year-old man and going, I need you to explore and go where nobody's gone before. I'm going to place with on you the responsibility of this entire new territory of showing us how to get from A to B. 27 years old. They suffered just about everything you can imagine along the way. Dangerous waters, harsh weather, hunger, illness, injury. Funny thing I read as I was, I was researching uh, Lewis and Clark is is, uh, I mean, when we talk about injury, some of it was like self-inflicted. One time they all went out hunting, <clears throat> and one of the guys shot uh, Clark. Just shot him, like by accident, shot him in the leg. Well, it's not like they got a doctor out there. They don't even have hardly people in the, in the Pacific West at that moment, right? And also they suffered from fatigue. And as a matter of fact, here's the, just the truth. If it hadn't been for meeting nice Indians along the way, they, they would have 
they would have died. They wouldn't have made it. So can I make a quick observation? Older men don't make this journey because wisdom counts the cost early. Human experience has taught us when something leads us to death, especially certain death, we probably shouldn't do it. And we go, well, that's just smart. <laughs> hey, you probably shouldn't do that. You're going to die. Right? Wise people say that, right? Because they understand. They see the consequences of the action. And when that's wisdom, right? More often, it's the young man that throws caution to the wind who embraces the unknown. They, they're willing to take the leap of faith. Often we look down on young people when they're like this. They step out into the unknown with more bravery than sense, right? I got this. Man, you ain't got nothing, dude. You better watch it. We see it as foolishness or luck, depending on the outcome. The Apostle Paul saw this as a qualification, though. You know the scripture, 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. But we do struggle with thinking less of our young people, don't we? Our lack of faith towards discipleship process has created something I'm not sure that we can come out of, but I know one day we'll be ashamed of it. We've stifled the spiritual growth on the next generation by not trusting Jesus in the process of discipleship. In our intent to protect our kids, I'm scared we're making them spiritually sterile. And let me explain this. After years of being a youth pastor and watching students grow up into young adults who want to pursue ministry, I've witnessed so many kids lose who they are along the way. They start out so eager, so oblivious, so full of faith. Come on, you know. They're a, they are a fire that like has just been freshly lit. I mean, they're beautiful in their beginning, but then something happens. These young people whose identity initially is wrapped up in Christ starts to be pushed on and pulled on. Now, some young people, they'll attend seminary. And really, it's because the fear of what they don't know leads them to the idea that knowledge will somehow replace their lack of faith. However, there is a reason that amongst even the clergy that seminary is referred to as cemetery. I can honestly attest that I was a greater witness for Christ, you've heard me say this, guys. I was a greater witness for Christ before the pearls of theology, right? And I say that sarcastically, were bestowed upon me. I've prayed many times since that God would grant me blessed ignorance once more, where I knew more about the fire of God and the freshness of new life than all the words of commentaries and distractive and unproductive theological arguments. Year after year, I see young men and women coming out of seminary schools without one ounce of uniqueness or individuality. They are clones of other men, echoing the message of other men. In doing so, they've lost what was so special about them and the reason God sent them into the ministry in the first place. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, we teach that God has created you as an original masterpiece. But we've created programs and these platforms that mimic everything and everyone else. We set up schools to where we assembly line this next generation to sound like the former generation. 
And these young people, they come out not with the words of God in their heart, but rather they imitate the intelligent preaching of their professors and the other pastors they listen to. They mimic. We've raised them up to be echoes in a world crying for an original voice. The result, man, if there was ever a generation that's soul-searching for its own identity, it's this one. Come on. Have you not seen it? But skinny jeans ain't new, guys. I was from the 80s. Every rock star had them. Your yoga pants, Motley Crue wore them. Totally saw it first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dudes were wearing weird stuff back then, too. Put makeup on back then, too. Nothing changed. Nothing changed, man. <laughs> yeah. I agree. They're crying out, man. They're looking for who they are. They don't know who they are. They mimic everything. Have you not seen it? Like, it seems like we go through this whole phase. Like, I watched us go through this whole phase again. It's like we went through the 70s, 80s, and 90s all over again with the way hairstyles were done, the way everything's done, just watching it all go over again. And why? Because it's a generation that doesn't know who they are. They don't know who they are. So they're mimicking everything, trying to figure it out. They don't know who they are because they're so busy being everyone else. And why do we do that? What are we so afraid of? I mean, we see people that are so undefined that we feel, I don't know what it is, we feel like we have to mold our image onto them rather than just let the process of personal discipleship take place. Most of these people will suffer through years of failure trying to be like other people before they realize who they are. A majority of them will leave the ministry in the first five years. I don't know if you knew that. Just, I, it ain't even in my notes, but quit statistics. That's just been in ministry for the last 10 years. Three out of five people who attend seminary will quit ministry in the first five years. My, my always, my thought process, and the reason I end up here is because I've always wondered why. What have you done to ministry that makes it so horrible you want to leave it? Because let me tell you something. God didn't make it that way. So if it's so horrible, you feel the need to leave, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Paul said he was willing to suffer so much for the sake of just being part of ministry, being a part of what God was doing. If you don't feel that way about it, you're doing it wrong. If it's become some burden to you, you're doing it wrong. You're trying to be somebody else that you're not. It's a whole lot easier to be you. You're going to wear yourself out trying to be somebody else. Discipleship is a process, not a formula. We cannot create a better disciple than Jesus. Here's my philosophy. So get out of the way. Let's quit acting like we're the only teacher for someone as if we're smarter than Christ and start really acting more like a guide. Let's quit trying to make disciples in our image and just guide them on the road to Christ. If we continue to walk for them, we're going to get more of what we got now, which is a palsy generation, one that struggles to walk at all. Why? Because we cater to their every need. So when they suffer at something, rather than teach them how to do something and, just, and, and, and being up top, we create a program that handles that for them. And they never learn. They never learn. Why? And mainly, you know why we do it? Because we don't want to invest the time. We want a program to solve our problem and not invest the time. I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to give you something that happened this week to me. I think it would just be good for you. 
So I, I got called upon this week by uh, Superintendent Chris Allen to have a meeting about parent engagement. And as we're talking, he comes to me and he says, listen, he says, man, I've, I've been talking to a lot of people. I really think there's a gigantic gap. 63% of our school is on a food program. We're not reaching these kids. The rest of them we got. Yeah, I said, yeah, I know. That's the wealthy middle class. That's what you got right there. That's, that's the majority of who's active in the school, who's functioning with the school. I get it. And he's like, well, I don't understand how to reach this 60%. I said, well, first of all, how is my name in this process? And I'm not going to go in how all that was done. But, but it was interesting to me that when somebody, somebody threw my name out, like, then you need to talk to Jim Corsi. And I was like, okay. I don't know how that happens, but you know what? I've always said I wanted to be the captain of the poor. Maybe I am. <laughs> you know, that's all right. So I began talking to him, and we began to have a conversation. And he begins to go, okay, what can I do? And we begin talking. I was like, well, first of all, I'm not sure how much you can do. You're a wealthy white guy, middle class guy. You have a bunch of wealthy white guys on the city council. Or the, the, the board, the school board, my bad. And I said, man, that, that's the strike against you right there. How are any of you going to relate to them? How are any of you going to talk to them? And I said, man, I'm off. I love the school board. I said, but they just got another guy who's a banker in Burnett. You think he's going to relate to the ones you're trying to help? You think that guy's going to reach out to the poor from the bottom? I said, man, that's a program for him, and, and, and which is really what he's wanting to me. And like when we get to the end of the conversation, you know what he comes to me and says, man, he says, I'm not sure if I'm happy or I'm sad. I said, I know I feel like we got somewhere, but a little piece of me sad, and, and, and we get to discuss why. Why? Because I didn't have a program that could fix what he wanted. What he wants is a way to do this. Well, how can I bridge? How can I get parent involvement at this group? You know, what can I do? What work can I do that create this program that kind of just be some, that's a machine for me that handles this? I don't got that solution because there is no way to fix it with something that you're not hands-on invested and you're fully in it. I said, you know what you need to do? You want to reach that Hispanic culture? Go to their quinceañeras. Go to their birthday parties, man. How many, how many uh, times have you said, how many names do you know on campus? I said, you know what? There's a, there's a teacher up there that is, you want to know the guy who's doing it? Is, I mean, I'm going to give you his name as a, as a blessing to him because I, th I think he's a great guy. It's Clark Fields. If y'all don't know him, he's a vice principal there. That guy for the last three years has been voted on for the guys that they want to do their little senior picture with when they come off the stage. He's voted on them. as They vote that person in who's going to move the tassel, and they take a picture. He's been voted for three years straight by the, by the, uh, the kids as the person they want to turn the tassel and be the person they shake hands with there at that last photo. Why? Because he knows every one of their names. He says happy birthday when it's their birthday. That guy has invested his life into those kids. And I said, you want to make a difference, it's got to start there. And I said, you don't have the ability to do that to the whole school. But you do have the ability to invest in your teachers. That has to start here with you. Your heart has to be for your teachers to be like that. And you have to put people like that in position. You have to put people like that in, in places of leadership. And I don't have a program that's going to solve anything for you. But if you'll start to build relationships, you'll solve your own problems. Longevity, I told him longevity, and uh, credibility. That's what will create your change. And you keep saying you're going to be here for a long time. This is a long road. There is no short road to it. And that's what the programs do, guys. Programs are a shortcut to try to get the results we want. And the, let me tell you something. Bill Hybels, I'm, man, I'm speaking off the cuff now because this stuff bothers me. This, you can tell I think on this. Why well, it's called the cookbooks. It's stuff I think about. Bill Hybels, Willow Creek Church, Chicago. 10,000, 20,000 strong church. 
years and years, put out all these studies. People were like, how is he growing? He's so massive and so big. And he put out all this stuff that he was doing, all this. He's selling everybody his discipleship process, all these things that he's doing. Decade goes by. They decide, you know what? For whatever reason, if the Holy Spirit or whatever it is, they decide, um, maybe we should bring somebody in and really evaluate our discipleship process. Because they weren't seeing the change in people that they thought they should see. Now, mind you, he'd already marketed all these materials that said it, they were stuff was awesome, right? This guy came in and said, man, they, they hadn't been doing any kind of job. That their people were no more saved than when the first they walked into the door. Because programs don't change people. Relationships change people. Personal investments. Man, it, I know it feels good to go hand out food and go do things, but what it changes somebody's life is not the food you're going to hand out. That makes you feel better because giving makes us feel better. It's a gift given to us. Giving is a gift for us. It's a gift for us. We feel great when we give. Listen, I ain't going to lie. It feels good to be blessed. But you know when my life has changed? Show up at a birthday party. My life has changed. Show up at a funeral. Show up at a hospital. Lives are changed. I said, you want to really invest in a kid's life? Man, when his parents are struggling, be there. Call them up and say, man, I heard it's rough right now. What can I do? And I said, say the same thing I say. I don't know what I can do, but, it, but I'll do whatever I can. And if I can't do anything, I'm sorry. I will pray. But if I can do something, know that I will. Just be honest about it. I can't help everybody, but those that I can, I will. And that has to be your heart. If you want to do this, it cannot be a program. It must be about relationships. It's the long run. It's the long run. But this is what we do, man. We try to make it a formula. We try to make the process of, well, if we just have more Sunday school. You know, Sunday school will work if it's small. You know why? Because you build relationships. You know everybody in the classroom. It's not because it's Sunday school and it's, a, you know, if you're trying to look at stats and numbers and all these things like that, we're already, we're, you're already trying to formulate the whole thing. You're already trying to make it something. You're trying to make it this thing that's going to work every time. If I just plug this thing in over here, then it works. I've tried stuff like that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Discipleship is a process. It's not a formula. And so I watch these youth pastors who are always scared to send their kids out into the world, man. They're scared to send their kids into ministry. We make them go through all this school. We tell them they can't be qualified until they've done this and 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 this. And even when they get credentials, we go, well, you're still young. You don't know anything. That's what we do. What's wrong with just sending people out? I mean, are we really sending them out to failure or to fly? Even the youngest birds fall a bit before they fly. Can we trust God to take care of those who stumble? Or have trouble finding out who they are on the road of life? Listen, though John Mark struggled, right? Didn't God raise up Barnabas to take him care of him while Paul pushed on? Matter of fact, he irritated Paul, right? You know the story. Paul's like, I can't stand this guy. He whines about going home all the time. Right? Because Paul's dead set on a mission, right? Paul's like, I'm leaving him behind. Barnabas is like, I'll take him. Son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means, man. I'll take him. That's my ministry. Just to take care of kids that are struggling. All right? And I'll just guide them back to health. Right? And then what's he sending him out to do? Because what do we find Paul talking about later in the epistles? Man, I am so thankful for John Mark. Guess who's back out there on the field? Listen, yeah, they might need a break once in a while. Not everybody's as strong as everybody else. You're going to get hurt along the way. But God raises up other people who feel called to help people. 
and help you where you're at to get you back to where you need to be. We need to trust God that there are people out there that we have no clue of that God has already raised up to take care of us should we stumble. The real identity of who we are can only be found in the fiery trials of life and not in a classroom. It's time to leave the kitchen table and go outside and engage the world. Only then will you find or learn the length, the width, the depth of Christ through the Holy Spirit. I I know I see what we've become and I see how we look to, to, to Scripture to really justify everything. And I believe that we have a tendency, listen to me, I believe we have a tendency in the vein of being right more than righteous to make Scriptures work towards what we want them to. Let me say that again because that's worth writing down. I believe we have a tendency in the vein of being right more than righteous to make scriptures work towards what we want them to work. Say, we quote to our young people listen, you need to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's in 2 Timothy. However, isn't this written to who? Young Timothy. Uh, by the way, who Paul is admonishing because he's already in the work. That wasn't a qualification before I send you Timothy. He's got to study to show himself approved. No, man. Timothy, you're pastoring. And along the way, you should probably study. Just be a good idea, bro. Or we say, hey, you know, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. First Peter. And this presses your need to be ready and study because how can you explain what you don't know, right? But didn't Jesus say to Peter, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at a time what needs to be said. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to read or study God's word. Okay, let's not hear what I'm not saying. I believe with all my heart that in the process of knowing God, it begins with reading his word. I believe we should read God's word every single day. I believe we should know it like we know ourselves. The scriptures are pretty clear, right? Psalms 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, light to my path. Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. But my message is pretty clear. It's time to let go. It's time to release our young people And anyone else who's struggling with the feeling of inadequacy or the need to be qualified and tell them to go make disciples. Go make disciples. Don't worry about what's going to be said. Talk about Jesus. Keep reading your Bible along the way. Keep praying along the way. Have a a relationship with God. But also tell your friends about how crazy Jesus is, how much of a lover he is. Tell them about how Jesus accepts people so easily. Uh, Tell them about all the times that your life has been rough and Jesus pulled you through so many things. Tell them about all the things Jesus didn't pull you through. He just walked with you through it. Tell them. It's okay. There's like no right or wrong formula. Like if you don't know the Romans road, my gosh, you better not tell anybody. No. Talk to somebody about Jesus. The some of you know my story. I've said my story plenty of times. The first I ever heard the word of Jesus is about how Jesus loves me while this guy's passing me a joint. The first time I hear the gospel expressed to me evangelistically is a guy passing me a joint trying to tell me about this God who loves us while we were yet sinners. We're in the sinning process, in the middle of it, and you're telling me God loves me just like I am? It's the greatest ministry there is, man. 
telling somebody about Jesus. Listen, pulpit ministry might have its place for the preacher. But let me, let, me dis, let me show you how Paul described the pulpit life, okay? So you can understand this, this, this platform. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, he said this, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We've become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools because you claim... Uh, because you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we're ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We're often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn a living. We bless those who curse us. We're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage. Everybody's trash right up to the present moment. Paul says, like, you know, the, the preacher is like the biggest idiot of all. He says that the spotlight comes with a dire cost. You ever wonder why we come down on the pastor harder than anyone else? Because they're the fools on display. They're the ones boasting that they know a whole bunch. They preach and teach as if they have it together, but they don't. We're just like everyone else. However, because we teach from an elevated platform, there is a level of accountability that comes with a cost. Paul says he pays it gladly. By the way, he's talking to the Corinthians there, which if you go back and read the epistles there, the first and second Corinthians, they like struggling with like all kinds of like sexual lust issues. And like that's the reason he has to explain so clearly uh, uh, about love in Corinthians. That's where we get all the love talk from Paul. Why? Because they're struggling to understand what love is or lust is. Like they're struggling really hard. Like there's some things going in the church that are like uh, awkward to talk about. But you know what I'm going to do? Here's my answer for you, Corinthians. I'm going to send you Timothy. That's crazy. I'm going to send you this young kid who has oblivious to all this stuff, man. Because he's just dumb enough to say yes and he'll help you. Because any other guy's like, I don't want to inherit that. And I'm going to tell you as pastors, we look, they look at churches when they're going from churches. And they, when they go in, they'll go preach and they'll come back. And here's what gets said behind the veil, guys. Okay? Like I said, I've been changed a lot. Once I saw behind the veil of ministry, it's not all that pretty, guys. They come back from a church after looking at a church and they're going, right, we'll be like, you know, what do you think? And I'm, like, I'm thinking God said no. Well, I don't know if God said no, but I've already said no, so God's going to have to change my mind. Like, I don't want to inherit that. That's a church is a whole mess. And I'm going to tell you, you know what wisdom tells you the older you get? I really don't want to deal with drama. Young people are like, I can conquer anything. I got this. Why do you think we send 18 and 19-year-olds to war? I will kill every person I see. Don't tell me what I can't do. That's how young people are, right? I, I'm bold in the faith. I can do it all. Right? So I'm sending you Timothy. Like, man, have you read First and Second Corinthians? It's long. Out of all the churches he has to deal with, they got problems. First of all, you know that, right? The epistles are because the church has issues. The church is not perfect in the New Testament. It has issues. That's why the epistles are written. Corinthians, more than most. So I'm going to send them my youngest guy, the one I have to remind to be a soldier, Timothy. Be strong, because it's a hard ministry there. I got I to gotta remind him, like, yeah, they're going to give you a hard time because there's a lot of older folks there. They're going to look at you like you're an idiot because you're young. You don't have the life experience that they have. They're going to try to use that to your advantage. Remember, remember who you are. Remember this whole First and Second Timothy. What does he teach him in First and Second Timothy? You remember? 
how to have deacons, how to have leadership, how to set up the church. Why? Because it's all a mess. Can you imagine being 20 years old to walk into a church that's struggling with sexual issues inside the church? you got to address those things. First of all, uh, the guy you have to answer to is Paul, uh, who's strict and likes to write everybody's truth in the Bible. So if you got anything bad going on, it's coming out in one of those letters. All right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants that guy for a presbyter, bishop, or whatever they want to call him in ministry today, right? That dude calls you out. I don't like you. I like you now. I don't like you then. I say whatever I want to say. That's just how it is. I mean, like, that's how Paul is. And we see all this stuff that he sets up in First and Second Timothy. And you, re- you got to remember, he's talking to Timothy here. Why? Because Timothy's struggling with his church. It's crazy. It's just starting up. He chunked this kid who has no clue what he's doing. And you know how he, you know he doesn't have a clue? That's why you got First and Second Timothy, to show him how. Well, how do I set this up? I don't even know what I'm doing, Paul. I'll write you a letter. I don't know about you, but I don't think mail is like it is today. Like, I can you imagine going like six months? Like, it's been horrible. I mean, like, poor guy's like 25 with no hair, you know? <laughs> Got a gray bearded already. <laughs> They're like, this guy's wise. He's like, I'm 25. <laughs> he sends them Timothy to learn from. Timothy to learn from. Quit saying you're not ready. You're ready. It's time to leave the comfort and knowledge and bark where faith abounds. Knowledge is comfortable, man. When we know something, that's comfortable, right? It's a warm blanket because we know it. We've experienced it. We understand it. We know it. But where to embark where faith abounds? Humanity has cultivated the words of God. They have, man. There's so many books on theology and so much stuff we could sit here and talk about and just go in circles about that we have really no clue of. That we won't know until we get to heaven. But you know one place where we've yet to break the surface is when it comes to faith. Last I saw, ain't none of you moved no mountains. You know, I lived with most of you for a while. I know you fair enough to say that. I don't think any of you have moved any. Like, literally, the Rockies are still there. So go pursue an adventure built around faith. Because I'm sure... That's the place where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is, man. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. How am I going to talk to somebody? I don't know what to say. What if I don't say this? What if he says this? What if they say that? What if you don't tell them? That should be the only thing that worries you. What if you don't tell them and you could have? Isn't it your responsibility? You guys know where they go. And is that really the reason why? Listen, man. We share the love of Christ when we accept others as they are. We share the love of Christ when we're at least willing to tell them. We don't have to be perfect to do it. We just have to tell them. When Paul says to Timothy, don't worry about being young. Don't worry, really what he's saying, don't worry about being inexperienced and not, and not, and not, not smart. But tell them about Jesus. Matter of fact, you should love Paul. I know you read him and you see him in the Bible in the New Testament and you go, man, this guy's so smart. I don't know, man. Like if Paul, like that guy would just be preaching way over our head. No, he wouldn't. If you, then you haven't read Paul very much. What did Paul say that he spoke to everybody he came to? I preach not with the words of wisdom, but I preach Christ and him crucified and resurrected. I didn't come to persuade you with my intellect. I'm going to preach the cross and him crucified.
our sins forgiven, and him resurrected. That is the gospel. We, we don't have to worry. When we send somebody out to be in ministry, you think that they need to, like, they didn't have the Bible back then. You think they, I mean, like, oh, my gosh, well, you realize we wouldn't have credentialed any of the apostles, right? We would have kicked Peter out. Peter wouldn't even probably be allowed in the church. You ask too many questions. You say dumb stuff. You call Jesus. You try to thwart the whole cross, Peter. You know, I mean, like, you're too emotional. I mean, you go back and look. John would be way too touchy-feely. Like, I don't, it's weird. But I mean, like, you go back and look at them. They're all flawed. They're all flawed. Peter never hardly said anything right except the one time where he goes, you're the Christ, right? That's like his big moment, you know? Everything else you wish, he, and I guarantee he did too, wish it never was written. Because it's all bad after that, right? Where he's called Satan, where he lies about knowing Christ. Not only lies, but he curses that he doesn't know Christ. You know, I mean, like, it's like all bad after that. For this guy to show up and lead the church in the New Testament. And by the way, do you think he was prepared to speak to 3,000? Man, that guy could barely speak to everybody on the boat. Think about it. That's his first crowd, right? And he just spoke off the cuff, didn't he? And what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him. And he began to speak. And God worked and he moved through him. So what are you worried about? Man, half of you are better than Peter. The other half, maybe not so much. You can, you can be on my side. I'm, I'm the other half too. Stand to your feet. Let's, let's get ready for worship today. You know, a few things you should be asking yourself. I'll try to leave a question with everything here at the end. A few things you should ask yourself, especially as we get ready for prayer and time for a moment with the Lord in our, in our altar time. Uh, is this, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from exploring faith? What's holding you back from, from going out and telling somebody? What are you worried about? Well, they might not like you. Yeah, I know. I've lost a lot of friends because of that. It's true. But I've gained a whole lot more. And, and I've been wrong a lot. And I've been right some. But I'm more scared of being the somebody that's not me. And, and, and one of the wonderful things that God says, I mean, from the very beginning, God created us unique. You, I mean, most of you have heard somebody preach to you about fingerprints. You know, you're the only one with your fingerprints. You're the only one with your eyes, right? God says, Ephesians 2.10, we talked about it. You're, you're, you're the masterpiece he created, right? You're not a carbon copy of somebody else. Don't Listen, it's good to hear somebody preach, good to hear somebody teach, good to hear somebody invest into your life. But be you. Don't lose you in the process, Right? I tell people all the time when I get Bibles, I don't do commentaries in Bible. It's not that I don't think it's smart to have a commentary, but you know why? I want to come to that conclusion on my own because I'll miss out on the search to get there. That leads me to this book, and I have to go read this whole book, and then somebody's in this book that's in another book, so I'll go read this other book, and I, and I miss out on the adventure of searching how, I, how they came to that conclusion, right, so that I can testify of that knowledge when it finds it, right? I don't take shortcuts. That doesn't mean that the journey's always fun. A lot of times it's hard. I've, I've had to say I'm sorry 
and I was wrong more times than I care to admit. But one thing is for sure that I know without anything else, if God says we're an original masterpiece, there's no need for us to look or act or talk like anybody else. Be you. Be you. And don't let nobody rob that from you. God, God, God gave us you to be you. Because you can minister to a way to me. Listen, I don't need two people that look exactly the same. And I'm not talking twins, I guess. But, but like, but like I, I, don't, I don't need echoes. I need voices in my life. And so do you. And so do you. Let's worship this morning.